Well, here we are. This is the 10th full-length episode of the CX Patterns podcast. But really, it's an episode all about firsts. My first guest from outside of the U.S., my first guest with a Ph.D., and my first episode on customer experience measurement. Long overdue on that last one. This is Sam Stern from LinkedIn Customer Experience Team. Today, I'm sharing part one of a two-part conversation with Zana Vanda Ah. Zana is based in the Netherlands. She has a PhD in customer experience, and she is an expert in how to measure customer experience, but also how to apply the measurement data to make tangible, significant improvements to a company's customer experience. You will hear all of that in these two episodes. Zana has deep knowledge and 20 years experience in the field, but also she's great at breaking down complex topics into explanations that are clear and memorable. In the first conversation, we'll talk about the challenges with surveys, why customers' answers on those surveys are not always reliable, how to get better sources of data and feedback from customers instead, including different ways to ask them questions, and how to involve stakeholders in the right ways and at the right times so you can get them to properly engage with the customer survey data with the customer feedback, rather than hearing them say the words dreaded by customer researchers all over the world. We knew that already. Welcome back to the CX Patterns podcast with Sam Stern, and I'm really excited to be joined on this episode by an old CX collaborator who I worked with many years ago and have been following her work ever since, Zana Vanda'a. How are you, Zana? Your pronunciation was definitely not too bad, Sam. Okay, <laughs> I'll take not me. too bad. I'll take not too bad. Thank <laughs> you. So who is Zana? She is someone who would say that in a world where more than 80% of CX transformations lack execution power, you need to have a more scientific approach to customer experience. And over the last decade, she has been doing that. She has successfully run three multi-year CX transformation programs, two of which included scaling to multiple countries. And so I like this, Zana, from your LinkedIn profile, you said, you're quoting James Bond, one time is an accident, two times is a coincidence, three times is a pattern. <laughs> and here we are on a podcast called CX Patterns. So, of course, ah. I wanted to talk to you and have you on the podcast. And I am really taken with your approach being so scientific and being so evidence-based because I think as, as someone who's been in customer experience, both of us have for 20 years now, one of the challenges I often see in the industry is that because if you're inside of it, you have such belief in the importance of it, the value of it, the, the righteousness of it that you sometimes don't stand up for the certifiability, the provability, the statistical significance of your evidence for that. And so I think that's where you are really doing important work here to push us, us all in customer experience to get to that point of demonstrating the impact of this work. So excited to have you here. And I thought maybe that would be a good starting point. Can you talk a little bit about your scientific approach to modeling? Yeah, I think for me, so one of the reasons I'm always saying I'm more a pragmatist than I'm a, a scientist, right? So yes, I've done a PhD, but for me, it was really a means to an end. And I think it connects well. I see you need the same, but a lot of CX professionals are struggling. And I think a lot of them are struggling because they fail to prove the business impact. So for me, why did I start doing this PhD? Why the science? 
is because I have a very fluffy dream to change the world, right? This fluffy dream to change the world means helping companies treat people well, so customers and employees. Uh, but I soon felt, okay, if I really want to convince the cold, hard corporate world of this dream, I need to figure out a way to speak the language of the organization, meaning steerable information, meaning financial information. So that's why I felt, hey, maybe I should do the research. Maybe I should do a PhD to prove, yes, treating people well in the end yields business results. And that to me has been the reason why I started to do the PhD and why I'm still using. So in each project I do, each program, we always start with figuring out, okay, in this specific journey, what really drives NPS or satisfaction. That's always the starting point to, to get the rest of the organization actually excited and on board. Well, that makes sense. Maybe a naive question here, but they're measuring satisfaction. They're measuring NPS, Net Promoter Score, without having done that driver work. Or have they done a version of it? Where are they in that when you start working with them? Yeah, so, so of course, almost everyone is still measuring NPS, right? I think one of the, the most um, impressive parts of the NPS is the whole, let's say, marketing engine that every company in the world is using NPS, right? And they did a lot of good work in putting CX on the map. So there's not any company that's not measuring something with NPS or something with satisfaction. But the key thing that's going wrong in almost all programs and projects is, okay, but how do I know for sure that I'm measuring the things that impact NPS or satisfaction the most? How do I know for sure that I'm complete? How do I know for sure that this thing is five times faster than the other thing? Yeah. And that's where all, let's say, analysis is is going wrong. Now, let's say 95%, not all. Okay, great. So let's get into that a little bit deeper. You had, I think this was, I took this from one of your podcast episodes where you talked about drivers. And I really like this language you use, which you said it means that you're in the driving seat. You're the driver of improving satisfaction. It's something that you control, that you can yeah. actually uh, influence the outcome of. And I think that's clear. That's that. I like that language. It, it takes drivers. Everyone knows what it means, but they don't. And you explain, no, this is something that you can actually uh, influence an outcome by working on. And then I wonder, and maybe this is you taking us into your approach in a little more depth. How do you know? that the drivers will actually improve satisfaction or net promoter score? And then the second question with that, how do you know that those are the right things to improve the, the customer experience? Because in my mind, satisfaction, MPS can be incredibly reductive about what actually matters to the customer. And I think that's why you're getting into the driver analysis. So how do you know that, yes, it might influence the metric we're tracking, but also stepping back from that, is that what we should actually care about in terms of what matters most to the customer? Yeah, I think the first part, I think one of the key, so there's a lot of statistics and a lot of also fear for statistics, right? Every time I talk to people, yeah, I've had this in college, but please just walk me through it, right? <laughs> so I always yeah. say, forget a lot about statistics, but indeed there are a few things, I always say there are four things that really matter if you want to be in a driving seat. And the first very crucial thing is we are all customers, right? So we all think in the organization, that we know what they want. I don't know, Pete from, from customer service says it's all about, says it's all about personal attention. Somebody else from finance says, no, it's all about speed. And we have this debate and that's slowing our transformation down because we don't really know the answer. So the very first crucial thing that will tell you, hey, am I even measuring the right topics? Am I not missing something crucial? Is something that's called explained variance. So the statistical analysis will give you a percentage 
And that percentage will tell you, hey, did we do a correct job in our journey workshop in building the survey? So that's actually telling us, hey, yes, we found the topics that matter. Or, for example, if it's beneath 30, 30%, then you know for sure, hey, we've missed something that matters to our customer, but that didn't come up in a journey workshop. So this explained variance is crucial for knowing in, let's say, layman's terms, did we capture all the right topics? I, I like that because it's saying not only are we not sure, we all have our opinions on which drivers are most important. We want to be sure that we are looking at the totality, maybe not literally the totality, but enough yeah. of the drivers that we can explain the variance and the different outcomes that our customers are getting. Yeah, and I really like this totality because also the second part is we indeed we look at all the topics. So in this survey, we put all the elements of the journey, let's say the more transactional stuff, but also the emotional stuff. And indeed, we want to see in connection, what is the impact of each topic and not measure separate, okay, let's see what the human aspect does. And we don't look at the transactional stuff. And so yeah. because you're having this holistic view, now you can see, okay, if we capture everything, then within everything, let's say personal attention is five times more impactful than fixing the My account. I'm just making up an example, but it's not too far off from what we often see. <laughs> so that's the second part, right? It puts you in the driver's seat. We're all crazy busy. We all have 1,000 things to do. And this will tell you, hey, but if you now focus your energy on improving personal attention, for example, it will enhance NPS satisfaction five times faster than, for example, in my account. Or also, because we are from the pretty long survey department, right? So we're not only from the one question. So we also capture different topics that people think and assume matter, but we can now prove, hey, you thought that invoicing was really crucial. But according to the customer, there's something that's more important. And this is actually not doing anything for satisfaction or NPS. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point. I'm, I'm really glad you made it. I didn't ask you that question. And I think it's important to say that, that you'd also then have the evidence for what doesn't matter. Exactly. Not only what does, but now we can actually show you with data what doesn't matter. So if that was your pet topic, we're now exactly. we're now able to show you, at least with evidence, maybe it still won't convince you, but we're at least we have the data to say, that's not one of the things that's going to make customer experience improve the most or the fastest. So that's why we're not prioritizing it. Exactly. And it's not no longer our opinion. It's objective data from the customer, which I love, right? right? That's why I love journey mapping. It's such a simple, powerful tool because it has the objective opinion from a customer. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. You hit on something there. You use it as an example to make your larger point about the different drivers and how they could influence. But I want to go into the specific example you use because I think it's a really important one. I've heard you talk about it a lot. I talk about it a lot. And yet I still don't think it's quite permeated for CX teams as much as it should have, which is the importance of human touch, yes. the importance of the human element, and the fact that matters more to how the customers feel about the experience I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how you've seen that show up in the data and translate that into what that means for how you create great customer experiences that are going to deliver the outcomes that customers want. Yeah, so what we indeed almost always see, let's say in maybe 90, 90% of the cases that when we take a journey, that the human element is almost always the number one driver and the human element in the walls can differ, right? In the context of social services, is it's, for example, treating me with respect. For example, another company, it's, hey, I want you to be there for me or personal attention. So the content of the human aspect can differ, but it's always the number one. And I think what's so interesting is 
when you talk to people that are not in CX, they say, duh, of course, right? The human aspect matters. <laughs> yeah. So I've often said and joked, I want to stop sending surveys tomorrow because we all know it if we just treat everyone as if we treat our best friend, right? Yeah. But the reality is we live in this system, this organization system that needs terrible information, right? Mm. Otherwise, it's opinions. So I think what, what I've, one of the things I've learned is that when I started presenting the results of the driver analysis, uh, the first response was, course, this human factor is the number one. That's nothing new. So I thought to myself, okay, this is not really having the impact that I would like. <laughs> so now what I tend to do before I share the results, we first do a quiz like Kahoot. And I ask eight to 10 questions. What do you think is the number one driver? What percentage of customers do you think already gives you an A+. The assumptions, right? The true or false. Do you think that invoicing is more important than XYZ? And apart from the fun and energy of having a competition internally with a nice, I don't know, some chocolate award, at least 50% of the answers are wrong. Yeah. So they are now really open to listen. Okay, but what are the drivers actually telling us? And it's a super simple, but really crucial, let's say, intervention to really make sure that your results land into, hey, maybe we should also actually start doing something with these results. That is so powerful. I'm going to pay it my highest compliment by going to steal that idea, Donna, which is, I, I think it's so important. You're right, because it, it is easy. We're all guilty of it as humans that when we learn something, we think we always knew it or we agreed with it for all time. Yeah. Whereas if you anchor, you have to take that quiz that you were talking about first, you see what you thought, and now you're comparing it to reality it's much easier to see, okay, I was wrong. I did think it was this. I have the evidence in front of me. So now, as you said, I'm more curious and more open to learning why is it this other thing rather than pretending in my head that I knew it all along. I, I love that idea. I think that's such a powerful technique for opening them up, right? To, to exploring that more with you. Yeah. And, and one beautiful sort of side effect that I wasn't aware of is that, so in the beginning, they are all excited. It's new. And then six months later, when they start saying, hey, but of course it's a human factor, the data where you can say, hey, remember during the quiz, 60% of you guys thought it was a transactional stuff, right? Oh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. no, no, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. You can keep going back to it and keep reminding yeah, them. Exactly. We, we got to keep going. Okay, that's great. I love that. So one of the things you've been talking about here that I want to explore with you a little bit more, because again, I've listened to, to your podcast, watched some of your videos, hear you talk about this, and I think you have a really great nuance to this to try and get into this, and I think it would help listeners a lot to hear this, which is you're talking about surveys with customers, getting the data from customers. But then I, I think I'm quoting from you here. You said, when you start thinking, and this was talking about someone answering a survey question, you start rationalizing your mm. answer. The things that matter to me on a subconscious or latent level are not the same ones as the, the ones that matter to a customer on a rational level. So you'll say, I love this so much because the my account page works so well. They'll try yeah. and think of a reason. So how do you isolate that in a survey where you're not getting them telling you rational reasons that they've just invented to explain their emotional response to an experience? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So the trend, the trend in surveys is becoming more and more as one question plus an open text because we all have AI, right? Especially survey tooling companies yeah. are saying, hey, we have super smart AI. We can analyze a thousand open answers. But if you look, for example, at the MPS, I would you recommend company X, then often the question is need why in open text. Mm. So I start thinking about my answer, right? I start yeah. rationalizing my answer. 
So even if you have Medallia, Qualtrics, analyzing thousands of open answers, you're still analyzing the rational drivers. Yes. And we've compared it often, and it's not that it's a bit off with the latent one, but it's, for example, on a latent level, the number one rational becomes number five on a latent. So you can really be very mm. way off. Yeah. So what we tend to do in, in the survey, so the more, let's say, subconscious people fill in the surveys. So often I get the question, hey, a survey with 30 statements, nobody's going to fill it out, right? And of course, we've proven every time that we can get enough responses. And I think even my argument would be the more that people, the more quickly they start clicking through the statements from completely agree to completely disagree, like a psychological test, right? They also tell you, hey, don't overthink your answer. Yeah. So the faster they start answering, the more subconscious insights mm -hmm. I get. So that's one part. So one part is just the statements. They cover all the topics, both transactionally and uh, emotionally. We're not asking to rate any importance. We're only yeah. asking, hey, how do you value this on a scale? Completely disagree, completely agree. Uh, the employees were friendly. Completely disagree, completely on a scale. Yeah. So that's one part. Yep. And the second part is when you look at the types of analysis we run. So as soon as you have 100 surveys back, you can run, let's say, what I tend to use as the smart statistics. And one technique, and you can forget about it, but if you're interested, one technique is called a factor analysis. Mm -hmm. But the key thing, that's the key that will get you to the latent insights because we have the survey in the order of the journey. We start with questions about the online form, Questions about, I don't know, maybe the account manager calling me. Questions about the delivery. So it's a sequence. While the spectral analysis is telling us, Zana, that's really a nice idea, your journey. But from the customer perspective, they are telling me statement 1, 5, 16, 21, and 26 belong together. Hey, when I scan through these five statements, they all have something to do with trust. Mm. Uh, apparently, the subconscious latent need is trust. That's how you yeah. get to this subconscious needs. Oh, I love that. And I think it's one of those things you have, to, you have to be careful about is to not just take customers at their word, especially if you're asking them to, to tell you what they think. They're, they're unreliable narrators. They have unreliable memories. They have unreliable predictions about how they'll feel about something. Well, Zana, this is great. We'll have to have you back to continue the conversation. So we will make this a two-parter and we'll talk to you soon. Zana shared so much wisdom. Explain variance, which is at the center of her approach, really takes driver analysis to a level where you can start to first hone in on what is most likely to improve the customer experience, but also crucially learn if you missed some topics, some drivers that are really important to your customers. Without that certainty, you don't know if your view of the full picture is actually the full picture. So first, collect all the topics together. And then you can start to think about within all of those drivers, which are most important and how important are they relative to one another? Not just rank, but percentage of total. That last component helps you see if one driver is not just more important than another, but also that it could be 5x as important. And now your organization can better allocate resources, better allocate time, better allocate its attention. Another key point that Zana highlighted is that stated conscious reasons for why customers like or don't like an experience are not great data. Humans 
are fantastic storytelling machines. We can come up with reasons on the spot, and even worse, we believe those reasons ourselves. I think it was Richard Feynman who said that the easiest person to fool is yourself. And that's true for your customers. They really think that the reasons they're giving you for why they liked or didn't like your experience are true, which makes it hard for you to discount their evidence. So what's the lesson? The lesson is don't ask, at least not in a way where customers will be forced to think about reasons on the spot. Zana also explained clearly how important the human touch is to customer experience scores. It's a great topic, and we are going to get into it a lot more in the second episode. What I also value about Zana's approach is that she's always working hard to demonstrate the value of customer experience, the importance of it, and the difference it can make. For those of us in this space, one of the things we can be guilty of is the curse of knowledge. We know so much about the importance of customer experience, about its benefits uh, to the business, and about the right ways to do it. But the curse is that we are often guilty of not stopping to let others learn some of what we know. And Zana doesn't just tell people about it. Her techniques allow her stakeholders to discover that knowledge for themselves. It's really powerful to bring them along and have it be a journey of self-discovery. Zana does this, asking the stakeholders questions before she shares data with them. She asks things like, what do you think is the most important driver? How many of your customers do you think will give you top scores? This is so important. It short circuits the human instinct to want to think that they already knew something and therefore be able to discount its importance as a new finding because she's helping them anchor and make salient their past beliefs and then reminding them of those when she shares the customer data. That pushes back against the stakeholder instinct to dismiss something by saying, we knew that already. Their answers reveal that they didn't know that already. They can't update their priors when their priors are staring them in the face. That's powerful. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to the CX Patterns Podcast. Please do follow me on LinkedIn. You'll see the newsletter that accompanies this episode. And I'd love to hear from you with questions, ideas, or suggestions for future episodes. And also, if you have pushback or anything we missed in this episode, let us know. And I will include it in the Missing Threads, Loose Threads mini episode that will come out next week. Thanks to my colleague, Emily Tolmer, for creating the CX Patterns logo and to my friends, Moon Island, for the music. I'll be back in two weeks with another full episode, which will be the rest of my conversation with Zana. Talk to you then.